1: You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game.
0: This is the Power Producers Podcast, production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power?
1: Hey everybody, welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game, and we are throwing you a little bit of a curveball today, because we have... Laura Treon's with us and she is not an insurance agent or an agency owner or any kind of a software provider or anything else. But what she is, is a really good coach. And I want her to talk to us today about some of the things she does when she works with high powered sales professionals and people that aren't high powered, but want to be. But before we jump into all of that, Laura, thank you so much for spending time to come on with us today. Why don't you take just a quick second to give everybody sort of the 10,000 foot overview of who you are and how you got to where you are today?
2: Well, thank you so much, David and Kyle, for having me today. I'm so excited to be here, you know, and to learn that I'm really like the first out of the industry to come and be on your show. I am totally honored and expect to provide you guys lots of value so that you walk away and you say, wait a second, she should be a part of our industry. Um,
3: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Okay. (laughs) So, So I will tell you, I started off in an industry that was relatively close to insurance. So when I first started, I was in real estate and I was a realtor and I was on, Um, I was on the leadership team and the company, the franchise that I worked for, they used an assessment to help guide people to the part of real estate that best fit them. And then the assessment would go into a drawer. So I'm on this leadership council, and my broker is super frustrated because she can't understand why these agents have these really big goals for themselves, but they're not doing what they say they'll do to reach their goals. And I I said, give me their assessment. And we pull it out of the desk, and I'm like, well, wait a second. If this person's greatest fear is rejection, they're not going for no, no matter how much you teach them that. And so I started to... Right. Right. Not a good fit. fit. But there are other ways you can, especially now with technology, there's so many other ways you can build a business. And so what started to happen was people were coming to me and they were like, hey, listen, can you take a look at my assessment? And I, on the side, started to help people build businesses based on who they are and how they showed up instead of sort of this one way approach. So I changed real estate companies, and I go into an office that doesn't use the assessment. And I say, hey, listen, I really think it's important the whole team take this, you know, will you pay for it? And the broker's like, "Eh, actually, no. And you're probably not going to be able to get people to take it. And all I need is a challenge. And I say, oh, okay. Well, by the time I left, 90% of the office had taken the assessment. And what was great is people were looking at it and they were saying, hey, listen, like my husband's looking to change careers. Can you like help him? Or there's a children's assessment. Listen, my kid's having trouble in school? Can you you know do the assessment with them? And it was at that point I realized this is so much bigger than real estate because I thought I was going to coach realtors for the rest of my life and was happy to do so. But as I started to work with other people outside the industry, I'm like, this is so much bigger and I want to take advantage of that. So um, I, you know, I decided I'm going to leave real estate, go into coaching full time. And if I'm going to be a coach, I want to be coached by the best. So I hired a Tony Robbins coach. And during that time, I, he My coach helped me with my transition out of real estate. And he said to me, hey, have you ever thought about being a Robbins coach? And I was like, no, no, no. I have a plan. I'm going to go do it on my own. And and so I I thought that was going to be my plan. And then the more coaching I did with the Robbins organization, I said, this is really where I want to be. And so um, I was blessed to have an opportunity to be a coach for the Robbins organization for two years. And then um, that, as you could imagine, everything with that organization. Organization is super intense and so I really wanted to be able to pick and choose my own clients and I'll say I don't work for Robbins anymore but I'm forever a client of theirs um, so I left after two years and now I'm really honored that I get to pick and choose who I get to work with and really help people in their journey in professionally and in life.
1: You know what I think that that's important for everybody to hear too because that is honestly one of the number one reasons why I own an agency, right? And we are very look, I get I get controversial, uh, I shouldn't say controversial, I get hate mail, right? Because I don't I don't have a problem <laughs> saying that. I don't I don't have a problem saying we love to pick who it is we're gonna work with. But I, I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt, and Kyle yeah. will back me on this, that anytime we have a problem <laughs> with a with an account, anytime, I mean we do have problems. I'm not all rainbows and unicorns. It's never the people that we picked not one time it's always the referral from a friend um, you know uh, a channel partner that we need to do a deal for so they can get a deal done and we know we know we sit down and we have identified very very clearly this is our ideal prospect and I want everybody to have, three to five. you know, Not necessarily different in terms of the demographics in in size and shape, but industries. Because God only knows that if we put all of our eggs in the plumbing basket, something goes south with plumbers, we're out of luck and out of business. And so I want them to have three to five ideal prospects and be very, very clear on what that is. And I have found, and I'm interested in your thoughts behind this, but as I travel the country and speak, and i survey as you know from the 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 podium or whatever you want to call the stage whatever i ask you know how many people can articulate exactly who your ideal client is they they can't People have never taken the basic step to sit down and say, this is who I want to represent. I think part of that maybe has to do with the fact that as you work for other people and organizations, as you're moving and progressing in your career, you don't have that latitude and freedom to determine that. And when you do, it gets a little bit freaky and we, we, we're we not used to that. So we're afraid to maybe take that step out there and say, you know what? I really appreciate the fact that you reached out to me, um, Mr... Uh, Two man candle shop in a strip mall, but you're just not going to be a great fit for me. I have an unbelievably good relationship with an agency down the street that loves small business. You would be perfect for them, and honestly, it's not you. <laughs> I give them the it's not you, it's me. But it, 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 in all in all truthfulness, it always is. That, it
2: always is. It, that is the you're
1: case, totally though. Right. It, it, But it it is us because if you're a small business and you want to come in and and, and have success, whether it be in service, pricing or whatever else, I am going to fail miserably representing you because my business is not built around me representing you. I don't have the right insurance companies. I don't have the right um, things from a service perspective internally. We focus on a very specific size and shape account. We know what we're good at and we try our best to stay in that lane. But it's never the people we intentionally pursue that give us the heartburn and grief because we already know those are the people that are going to get the most value from us. So I'll let you chew on that for a second and and –
2: Give so, us your thoughts. So you you made so many good points there. I mean, number one, you have to have your ideal client. And here's what I say, especially, you know, whether it's working with realtors or insurance, you can, you want to define your ideal client so that's who you market to. You can service different people, but you want to know your target market. Because when you try to be everything to everyone – You are nothing to no one. No one can identify you. So Mm -hmm. being clear on your niche becomes so vital so that you know who to market to. And to your point, David, when someone says, hey, listen, I don't service that group, but here's someone who does, you want to be that person other people can refer to you. And oftentimes... People and, you know, when times are tough, like, you know, now people come from this place of lack and they think, oh, I have to take whatever business I can get. And I'm saying, no, 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 no. It's actually the opposite. You can't afford to take on a bad client. They're too expensive. But people don't value their own time enough. And so when I'm working with a client, I'm saying, how much are you worth per hour? Because I want to know if the admin work (laughs) that you're doing, if you are the person who should be doing that or if you should be paying someone else to do that. It's the same thing with taking on a client. You've wasted countless hours on this client. You're actually losing money working with this client. It, It never works in your favor. It's so important to define who you want to work with. And, you know, David, that point of having multiple, you can have multiple key clients, but making sure that it's crystal clear is vital.
1: Yeah, it's funny. And so the reason why we sort of chuckled a little bit is it's almost like I downloaded to an SD card and then you stuck it in the side of your head (laughs) and you're saying the same things that I say. Because, you know, again, I tell people all the time if you don't know how much you're working for per hour, what are you really working for? Do you even know? You know, and when you start breaking it down, you know so there are there are people in our industry right now that are chasing just things that are never going to land and it's just a perpetual waste of their time and they're working for less than minimum wage yeah. when they do that and it just it absolutely blows my mind that we don't stop and do that anytime we bring in a producer or anytime i work with a new producer very first thing they have to do is put together their business plan and that's a process, right? How many times has a salesperson ever had to sit down and actually write a business plan as if their book of business is a independently an independently operating entity? They never have to do that. So, and it's so, not even, go ahead. No,
2: I wanted to just throw in there because it's so true. There are so many independent contractors who don't have business plans. I go, well, then it's not a business. You have a very expensive hobby. You do not have a business. If you do not have a business plan, (laughs) it's just a hobby. You may make money on it, but chances are you probably won't. So I agree with you totally, David, on that.
1: Yeah, it's no different than Shark Tank, right? I mean, and how do you expect to put actionable steps in place if you don't know what your end goal is? I mean, I'm a huge – yeah, I'm a a big fan of working backwards. Like any, any business, it doesn't matter what it is. I think any human being out there right now, if you have the ability to watch Shark Tank, if you have the ability to watch The Profit, if you have the ability to go to YouTube and and search for almost anything, you can get a fundamental understanding of this. I mean, what you just said straight out of Kevin O'Leary's mouth, right? You have a hobby. You have an expensive hobby. You don't have a business. Right. And I mean, but that's the thing. You start understanding, okay, basic financial statement concepts. But look at Marcus Lemonis when he goes in and he works with a business that he's invested in and he's just looking at very basic things, you know, people, processes, and products. Like that's not difficult. I can remember that that quickly. And we do very similar things in the insurance world. Um, you know, it's not always gonna um it's not always gonna translate directly, but you know, I think that that it starts with people, number one, wanting to improve themselves. They need to understand that they are constantly need to be constantly learning Constantly sharpening the saw, making themselves better because if they're not, their competition is right. And you know, it's funny mm-hmm. because I um, I read a lot. I I, I read voraciously, um, and I just went on a, a kick probably like two or three weeks ago, where I just threw it out on social media. What are books I need to read? And to see which ones I had and hadn't read yet, I ended up picking up like twenty new books off Amazon, you know, just to to get through the information and and get it into my head. And so, you know, I think that the first step, as with any program, is you have to realize: look, I need a little bit of help here. I'm not going to be able to get there on my own, and I I I want to be able to have someone who can hold me accountable. And, And just like you said, target marketing, right? It's great. If you don't have a target market, number one, you don't know who to market to. I'm going to take it a step further. What happens once you do market to those people? How do you measure that? How do you know? How are you looking at that from a business perspective and, and making educated decisions for how you're going to handle that money and the processes going forward? So what? we can get all over the place here. But I mean, I think that your normal engagement is probably somebody and, and I'm interested. Why don't you just tell us who what does your normal engagement start looking yeah. like?
2: Well, so my normal engagement, my ideal client, where do you want to go with that one?
3: Yeah, so, so both. I, I, I Yeah, my question was exactly what he said. I wanted to know like, who's reaching out to you and what that engagement process looks like, like so how they go the about doing it. beautiful gift
2: of the work that I do is that the people who are reaching out to me hear about me from other people. And it tends to be those people who feel stuck and whether they're independent contractors, they're looking to get to that high producing level Or they're at a director manager level looking to get to that C level. It's those people who are at that highest point of where they've been and they can't get past it. They're doing all the the same things. Exactly. But to that point, like, we're, they're doing the same things that got them there. They don't know what to do to get them to the next level. And it is a different mindset mm-hmm. as well as different actions. And the thing that I help mostly with is that mindset. Because once we can get past the mindset, the actions are pretty easy. So when I'm signing on new clients, here's the thing. I start off with three months because 3 it takes at least three months for you to make any meaningful shift. And we're not talking about change. We're talking about progress and shifts. The other part of that is because my business is built word of mouth, I guarantee results. And people making more money is a very important result. So if you're not reaching your results, I don't want you in a long-term contract because I'm going to be giving you your money back. I am happy to say I've never given anyone their money back. But But it's really important to me that you are – and you're looking at coaching – in three-month increments because that's the way I set goals. A lot of people will look a year out and it feels too far away for them to reach it. So I'm like, okay, let's break it down into something that's small and something we can monitor and measure. And so we're looking at three-month goals. My favorite clients are those clients who say to me, um, I'm only going to sign up for three months. I really don't think I'm going to need anything past that. And you know, they're on six years, three years, <laughs> actually uh, two years. I, my, I have an accountant who's on on her third year, and she's like, listen, when tax season comes, I'm really, I'm going to have to stop. And um, here we are three years later. She's never stopped. (laughs) She doesn't take a break. Yeah. She's like, actually, the first year, she said, I think I need you more now during busy season than ever. I'm like, yes. And now on year three, I will tell you right now what we're dealing with. Because we're at a point where we've created her business so she works really smart instead of working really hard. She doesn't know what to do with her extra time during busy season because everyone around her is in their traditional craze. And she's like, I feel like I'm missing something because we've set up a business that busy season, it's busier, but it's not so crazy. She's not seeing her family. It's not so crazy that she's not running. She's a marathon runner. It's not so crazy that she doesn't have these times to do other things. She's busier. But it's manageable. And right now she's a little bit in shock. She's like, I, this is so weird. I'm having the best season of my life.
1: You know, I well, you I go. make a comment all the time. It is never the process. It's always the person, period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, if the process is proven and it's replicable, it's the execution of that process and the level of intensity and thoroughness that someone um, uses to execute it that determines the ultimate outcome. So that's what I was thinking about as you were saying, you know, you don't want people, if people aren't making more money, you don't want them locked into a, a long-term contract. I-, I think about it exactly the same way. I mean, that just tells me you have someone who's not listening, you cool. know, someone who's not implementing, somebody who doesn't, people want accountability until they need to be held accountable, right? In <laughs> I I think that for me, I'm one of, I I don't know that I'm rare per se, but if I go to somebody and say, look, I I, I want you to hold me accountable to this, or I need your advice on this, I actually listen to it. And if I don't implement it exactly as it's given to me, I may morph that into something that makes more sense specific to my agency or to the insurance industry to do it. But you know, when you engage with people, how many of them engage kicking and screaming versus you know granted i understand they reached out to you so it may not be relatively evident at the onset of a relationship but you get a month in i mean what how many of these people are starting to push back and like eh, this coaching thing this accountability thing i really don't like it too much i'm going to keep you know wheeling and dealing the way i have been
2: well so in picking and choosing my own clients and because when we when I start every engagement we do an assessment debrief I really can get a good sense of people and their level of commitment at that point just in conversation the the other thing so when I was working for someone else and taking on any client a lot of people come to a coach cuz they want a magic bullet i'm going to tell you right now i am not a magic right. bullet if you want long term effective Um, progress. And again, I stay away from change. I'm not looking to change anyone. We want to look at patterns. What part of those patterns aren't working for you? How do we have to adjust them based on your behavioral style? And then how can I help you take action toward that and hold you accountable? A lot of times people will sign up for a program because they think there's a a simple system like, oh, I'm going to follow your system. Well, if the system isn't a match for your behavioral style, you're not going to follow it long term. You're going to start it and then you're going to peter out. And so those people tend not to be attracted Mm -hmm. to my style coaching because I'm not coming up with some like, oh, you're going to have magic happen in the next three months. No, that's not what happens, actually. We look at your goals and making progress toward those. And that commitment over time is what really gets you those
3: results. It sounds similar to like a diet, right? <laughs> like a lot of people think about getting on a diet and think it's gonna, you know, work for them because the whatever the new fad is works for everybody else. But it's really more dependent on your, you know, individual nutrition and your body type and all that. That's kind of
2: a thing. Gr- so I that, That's a great I think analogy. That's a good point. Um, body type, because again, we're looking at behavioral style, like what's going fit, to fit for you instead of this one size fits all like, you know, oh, this one magic diet's going to work for mm-hmm. everybody. It's not going to work for everybody. And so it is, but it's yep. people willing to make that investment in themselves. And that's the other part is the time, even the time, even more than the money part is I have so many high level executives who are like, I'm too busy. A lot of solopreneurs, independent contractors, I'm too busy. I don't have time. You don't have the time not to get a coach. I mean, when I look at how I'm helping people grow their businesses, and, and you know, one of my other con, uh, clients, he's in construction in Florida. Um, he's another one who said, listen, you know, three months, I was recommended to him by somebody else. I really don't think I'm going to need you after that. Again, we're on three years. And and for him, his business has grown so much. And he didn't even want to be that it was a family business. He didn't want to be the head of the business. He's <laughs> like, this is, this is too much for me we've created a a business based on him instead of based on, you know, his predecessor. And he's like, I, I was we were on our call last week. He's like, I'm actually enjoying my business. I'm like, Oh, this is amazing. This is what, yeah, this is what we're, we're working toward. But he's he didn't have the time. I'm too busy. Our busy season. I hear a lot of that. And I'm saying you, you don't have the time to waste to be trying to guess and do this on your own.
1: You know, I we that's obviously a an objection that we get all the time. Uh, you know, you go to call somebody regarding their workers' compensation program or something along those lines, and we have the ability of having intel before we call. We know what their workers' comp yeah. experience mod is, and I'm not going to get into all of the nitty gritty of what all of that means, but I'm going to tell you it's basically their report card of how they report relative to where they should have how they how they should have performed. Mm -hmm. So if you were an average company and you had exactly the amount of losses that the National Council of Compensation Insurance expects you to have, your experience mod is a 1.0. If you're worse, then your mod goes up and if you're better, it goes down. And ultimately that creates a surcharge or a discount on your overall premium because that factor is multiplied by base rates. Okay. Okay. That's it. That's all I'm going to tell you about technical insurance speak today. We know that. We know that because it's public (laughs) domain for us to be able to go in and get the experience mod. And so if I call an account that's paying $150,000 a year for their workers' compensation premium, and I know that their mod is a 1.5, I know that if they were average, they would only be paying $100,000 a year, right? Mm -hmm. So when we call them and we get that uh, objection of, I don't have time, my immediate response is, oh, so you make $100,000 an hour? Mm. And, and the person's like, what right. do you mean? Right. Well, you're, I've already established you're paying $50,000 more than you should, that I should easily be able to come in and help you get back over the next year or two. But that's only a 30-minute conversation. So if I take that 30 minutes and multiply it by two, that's an hour, and the $50,000 becomes 100000 So you're obviously making $100,000 an hour if you don't have time to talk to me. And then it hits him right, between and,
2: the eyes. Right.
3: <laughs> it's always just a, such a weak objection. I mean, I used to get it, you know, when I was selling the office supplies, that was one of the top ones that we would get all the time, too busy. It's like... It's like, look, you're not too busy to have a two minute conversation that's going to help improve your bottom line. It's just, it's, it's just a, there's always something else. You're too busy to talk to me, but you have the time to go to Costco and get your cases of paper.
2: Right, 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 right. Yeah,
3: exactly.
2: Well, but, but I also, you know, when the student is ready, sort of the coach appears, right? And, and I, I, am glad to offer education to a certain point, but I'm not here to convince you that you need a coach. Like When people are ready mm-hmm. at that growth point in their life and in their career, they start to search for it. And though, when we talk about ideal client, that's really who I want to work with. Because if I have to convince you or you, know, you people who do big programs and then sell you in the moment with a big wow, if that's what it takes... You're not a great client for me. I really want those people who have thought about it mm-hmm. and who are willing to make that commitment, especially that commitment of time, because no, my clients. You're we practicing meet, we what meet, you preach. Exactly. We meet we because at
1: that point, at that point, you're driving your own hourly rate down if you don't bring the ideal client in. Exactly.
2: Exactly.
3: Mm-hmm. So you've mentioned that you don't, you know, change people per se, but what would you say is one of the bigger mistakes that you see? When, when people come to you initially
2: um so interesting so when I think of mistake I think a, a lot of people come to me when they're transitioning in their careers and they're looking for again that next level in job or um, mm-hmm. that next level of business and they're willing to take anything because they think like oh you know I need the title to get to this level or I need especially I need this amount of money um, so I'm willing to take any title and Making sure that people are really crystal clear on what they want, we tend to know with greater certainty what we don't want, and we don't take the time to flip it and look at okay, well, if that's if you don't want that, what would you want? Um, and that small, mm-hmm. it's a two millimeter difference. That flip of from what you don't want to what you want triggers your brain. Because here's the reality: your brain has two jobs to answer your questions and prove you're right. The challenge is the brain doesn't know the word don't. So when you say, oh, I don't want, it doesn't matter. Whatever you say at the end of it, your brain's like, oh, let me find that for you. Let me show you that that's right, even though it's what we said we didn't want. And so I'm really focusing people on looking at their language and what what do you want instead? And for a lot of people, they think they've got to make this big jump. Like, let's say I'm, I'm really miserable in my job. Okay, so what would be the next step up for miserable? Don't expect to go from miserable to like I love it. This is my dream, right? Yeah. Just
3: place d- a good ever, point.
2: right? Let's just look at the Because You're gonna next crash and step. burn. Exactly. You're gonna crash and burn when you 100%. do that. I mean, it's.
1: I have to believe it's no different than somebody. And I, I hate to use this as an example. Let me think through it before I'm gonna stall by saying words that mean nothing while I'm thinking. Um, <laughs> Let's just say that it, it's somebody who has a weight problem. I can say that freely because I battle my weight constantly, right? So I go out and I work really, really hard to to go on a diet, and then boom, I go like you know. That's why I think keto and some of these other
3: and then you, and then you show up yeah, in Key West. It is, and it's yeah, over. but I mean,
1: I think you know when you have these <laughs> diets like keto, and I mean, look, we all know society wants results instantly. I mean, we have a freaking procedure where you can go get three quarters of your stomach cut out because you can't be disciplined to eat normal portions. And if I offended anybody, I'm sorry. I apologize. I don't care because you do have control over that. I have control over that. I have excess weight, you know, because I make bad eating choices and every single one of those adds on itself – you know, and then you end up with that result. I think it's the same thing. You know, I go out, I go on, on a diet. I have really good, it, it, you know, really, really good um, results from it. And then I find myself standing in the Cuban bakery on Saturday. Like, why? Why did I do that? You know, why did I put myself... Yeah, Cuban but why do I put myself best, in that man. position? And, you know, it's, right. it's interesting because I think that we are... That way about so many things. One of the best things, one of the best experiences that I ever did, and you, you mentioned this earlier, was running marathons. I've I've run several over the course of my life. Not, I will never run another one. My knees are non existent as a result of running those. But um, you know, it it is a very mental and psychological process. And people say that. And you know, it's just like when you it's just like yeah. Kyle just had his first son. And it's easy for me to say you're going to think about life differently. It's going to change until you experience that. You're right. You don't really right. understand and and everybody says that, but I can tell you that running a marathon is not the issue. I mean, that's the easy part. If you do everything you're supposed to do leading up to running the marathon, you're going to finish it. And you're going to finish it just fine. Right. But it's All of the months of training that you did of forcing yourself, it goes back to what James Clear talks about in Atomic Habits. It's those little bitty, boom, I have the decision. Do I get out of bed and train or do I not? Right. If I get out in bed and train, Mm -hmm. you know... Are my shoes by the door right where I need them to be? So it's easy for me to get dressed, put my shoes on and go. I mean, is everything set up and staged the night before so that I have a path of least resistance that morning when I get up? Or do I hit the snooze button, roll over and wait for a couple of bacon, egg and cheese at McDonald's, you know, on on the way to the office?
2: <sighs> well, it, it starts
1: with a choice that small.
2: Well, and this is where I'm talking to clients about commitment, and I'm saying on a scale of one to 10, how committed are you to that? And so oftentimes, people come in at a six or a seven. So I go, listen. If you're an eight, nine, or ten, you're committed, you're gonna do what it takes. If you're a one, two, or three, you're never gonna do it, you might as well take it off your list. What happens to the four, five, six, and seven is those are the dabblers, right? They try a couple things and then they're like, I've done everything. And so when I'm working with clients and I say, and they say, the weight is a great example, I wanna lose weight. Okay, how committed are you on a scale of one to ten? Well, I'm about a seven. I'm like, okay, so what would it take for you to be an eight, right? I want to know what's that next step for you to get to that next level of commitment. Because it's the level of commitment that determines whether you're going to do what it takes to even putting your stuff out the night before. And if you're not committed, a lot of people are like, well, I'm kind of committed. I'm like, okay, how long has this been a goal of yours? It's been a goal 10 years. Then you're not committed. What's going to be different this time? What's yeah. going to be different? Because if nothing's different, you're not going to take different actions. And that's okay, but stop beating yourself up over it. Let's look at a different goal. Here's the beautiful thing. When you start showing people success in parts, certain parts of their life, they start to create and find success in other parts as well. So let's not have weight as your goal right now. Let's work on a different goal so that we can look at the patterns that work there and then apply them to weight if you decide... At some point, you're committed to that. If you don't get committed to that, who cares? Stop beating yourself up about it.
1: Very, you know, again, I agree with what you said too about how people think and and how they choose their words. I look at it very, very similarly um, the difference between scarcity and abundance in your mindset, right? And, you know, our industry is one where people can get caught by a lot of shiny objects, you know, software products, whatever else that's been established for years now. But you know, when I talk with people about a product, like we we use HubSpot as our CRM inside okay. of our agency. Yep. HubSpot not cheap, you know. At all. It's expensive and it's fully customized and I've got a guy that does nothing but customize HubSpot for us so that we can get the most out of that investment, right? But it goes back to how you choose your words. When I talk to somebody about HubSpot, I know the end result of that conversation within the first minute of that conversation, because that person's gonna ask me one of two things. How much does it cost, or how much is it gonna make me? I wanna work with the person that asks how much it's gonna make me. Mm-hmm.
3: If you're worried about how much right. it costs right. right
1: now, you're already, you're done. Yep. You know, I've already disqualified you from, from being somebody that I would spend time with just because you're not thinking clearly. The other thing is, and you said something interesting, and I don't know that this is maybe more anecdotal than anything else, but you know, you made the comment if you're a seven, what's it going to take for you to get to an eight? I don't know of anybody, you know, in, in we can go back using weight as the example, but you know, maybe, maybe with success in, in making money or closing a big deal, I just have to believe based on personal experience that for somebody to go from a seven to an eight. How many times is it something positive that motivates them to go to the next level versus something negative? And here's what I mean by that. Um, You know, I need to lose weight. Do I have to have a heart attack to get more serious about it? Do I have to be told that I need to have a double knee replacement to get more serious about it? You know, or is the fact that I have four kids at home enough for me to emotionally know I need to be around for them for the long term? versus you know in the in the sales game do i need to have a large account taken from me before i decide i'm going to get more serious do i need to lose a large account or do mm. i get a taste of that sweet nectar of commissions and be like I'm real serious now. I want to take this thing to the next level and then I reach out. How are these people motivated when you talk to them?
2: So this is such a great question because the fascinating part is that I find a lot of it depends on behavioral style, right? So typically, if we talk just gross generalities, 80% of people move away from pain and only 20% move toward pleasure. But It's so much more than that because it is anecdotal. It does depend on what's happening. I will tell you, statistics show that seven out of 10 people who are told, if you do not change your lifestyle, you will die. They're told this by a doctor. Seven out of 10 do not change. I know. When you're told, you're going to die, right? So, in an anecdote where you go, okay, well, death should be a big enough pain. They're not changing. So
1: (laughs) No, because it's not tangible to them, right? They have to have and and I see this all the time. It feels too far away. So Yeah, I see it all the time with people like I have friends. They're you know, their dad's overweight, overweight. Everybody knows, you know, oh look at look at so and so's dad. He's a ticking time bomb, blah, 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 blah. blah." Knows he needs to change. Never changes, has the heart attack literally 100% predictable heart attack, has it, next thing you know, the guy's 80 pounds down, he's walking around the neighborhood, and you just want to grab him by the neck and choke him and say, why didn't you listen for all of those years when everybody saw this coming, including you, but you couldn't get through the psychological breakthrough? And it goes back to one thing and one thing only, in my opinion. And, And you said this already, which validates that I know that I'm right when I say this. My number one job of anybody that comes into production in the commercial insurance game is I have to get them to believe they can and believe in themselves. If I can't get self-belief where it needs to be, I am wasting all All of my time. And I can't, you know, I can't spend six months getting somebody to believe in themselves. I I need to figure out, am I going to be able to make this person shift their mindset enough to where they can start looking at it as, oh, I can do that. I can do that. And how do I, how do I drop little crumbs to get them, you know, eventually to lead them to where I want them to be. But I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts on that.
2: Well, so that's why so that's such a great point. Confidence is really the key factor. How do you build confidence? Well, you know, I'm really focusing on clients and looking at their successes. When we talk about engagement earlier, every single session starts off with what are your successes between this week and last week? Because what happens is as humans, we stack all the crappy stuff that happens and we don't even count the good stuff. I mean, to the point where we discredit it. Like, oh no, I'm supposed to do that. Well, wait a second. You you count counted the crappy thing where you, you know, stubbed your toe, but you're not going to count the great thing where you turned on hot water and it was there. Right. So we're looking at, you know, stacking your successes each week because remember, your brain has two jobs to answer your questions and prove you right. And so when you're stacking your success or you're asking people to look for success, they're finding more and more success. One of the things that I love is when people start working with me, they're like, I don't know what I don't know my successes. I don't know. By the time we're a month in, they've got a list of like 10 to 15 successes. And I'm like, okay, we've got to pair these down. We're using a lot of time on successes because we're so used to stacking the crappy stuff. So, you know, it is building that confidence. Yep. And it's making, it's giving people tangible bites for them to make progress. That's why when I started, I said, I don't change people. I help show people progress is possible. And when they see the success in that progress, they're willing to take those steps. Because depending on someone's behavioral style, the majority of people who take the assessment that I use, their behavioral style requires proof. They were, they they, veer in steadiness, steadiness. They wanna know that if I'm gonna do this, there's proof. Well, that means it might take a little bit more time. And that's where a coach can be so helpful because I can help you take things at your pace and make sure you're focused on the success. At the same time, um, I I had a client who said, like, I I rule with a, a velvet hammer and my daughter was like, Velvet. Like, what part of that is velvet? Um, and so I said, I didn't mean I use it at the same time. It means that I have both options. Um, but it is also holding someone accountable. Mm-hmm. So we do talk about successes. We do look at the things that are going well. But then I'm asking you specifically... What are you going to do to reach your goals and making sure you're staying on the same goals that you said you had last week? Because to your point, David, you talked about shiny objects. People jump around and they see something new and they're really excited about it. And I'm saying, but wait a second. A month ago, you said this was your goal. What changed since then? Because I want to hold you accountable for your shifts in decision because you're not going to get to a goal if it's a moving target. And making sure people are crystal clear Mm -hmm. on that outcome.
1: You know, I I liken that a lot to inbound marketing, digital marketing, okay. I can't tell you the number of people that I talk to that I say, look, are you blogging? Do you have a blog? Do you understand the importance of anchor text and keywords for search engine optimization inside of your website? Do you realize that if you write articles on a consistent basis, that every time you write one of those articles, it's like hiring a salesperson to work for you 24 hours a day on the internet? Do you realize it? And we walk through the strategy. And you get them to see it and you get them to believe it. And then it comes down to time where you have to execute, right? I can give them an editorial calendar and say, this is what you you should be publishing an article a week. Here's a foolproof way for you to do this. And they do it for a month and they don't see any results and they're done. They can't see the long range vision. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've seen this so many times over the course of my career, not necessarily at Florida risk per se, but in other companies and other and other agencies that I worked at where people would buy into that strategy because it, my my game has not really changed I've adapted a lot but I mean I'm a huge believer in content marketing and creating yourself you know creating the perception that you are the expert in your industry and that's not difficult to do it just requires discipline and you to consist- consistently execute can't tell you the number of times that I see people who just quit just give up and quit and within 2 weeks they leave the organization and accounts start rolling in from all of that content that they produced because they haven't seen. I think part of that has to do with when you set the table for someone, you have to give them the long-term vision. But people, by and large, specifically salespeople, in my in my opinion, yeah. can't see it. Inpatient, they can't man. see the long-term vision. And even if they yeah. can see it, they're not willing to put in the the work I shouldn't say that. They don't understand how to put things into digestible bites so that they can see enough progress to keep them in the mix daily to ultimately get to that end goal. Well, I think that that's part of where the disconnect well, comes especially
3: from, especially too with yeah, with the way that things are these days. I mean, we pick up our phone, you know, we turn on the TV, right. whatever, and it's instant. Like people are tra- are have been trained over the past whatever decade or more that things, you know, come like that and when it's not like that I think that it just makes it much harder for people to, to, like you said, see that long-term vision. So
2: one of the things, oh, I, I agree with everything you guys are saying here. One of the things that I work with my clients on is finding the mode of communication that's natural for them. Because here's the reality. If you say, oh, you should do a blog and it's dreadful for that person to sit down and write the blog, they're going to put it off. They're not going to do it. It's impossible to to be consistent. And that's my focus. I don't care what you do. Just do it consistently because here's the thing about consistency. Consistency creates momentum. Wherever there's momentum, there's energy. Where there's energy, there's money. And so I'm looking at helping my clients find what is the mode of marketing that fits for you? How do we do it consistently? And then I'm making sure I say, do not be wedded to the outcome from this marketing piece. I want you to look at the momentum and energy from all around you because the problem with statistics is, you know, I have a realtor right now. She, I've been working with her six years We're four years in. She's finally four years in. She finally starts doing uh, postcard marketing. Right. Okay, great. She's got her her target market. It's a community she's very familiar with. So I said, here's the thing. It took so long to get you to this place. Don't expect you're going to get results necessarily from postcards. Look at the energy and the momentum. I will tell you, this woman, the energy in her because In doing that, people just started to recognize her. So she started to go to the community more often. I mean, there was such amazing... She is the number one agent in that community right now. And it was because she picked something that would be simple for her to do, and then she did it consistently, and she showed up Mm. there. It wasn't just, I'm going to put it out there and hope something comes back. It was follow through. She does an event there once a year. I mean, it was a whole process, but it was around something she could really sink her teeth in and believe in. Because before that, she's like, oh, I'm not really a part of a community. I don't really... Oh, that's not really... She just hadn't found her match. And when she... She was ready. Now her business is built there and she's killing it. Right yeah. Now. You
1: know, who's killing it and who's consistent. Gosh. The car warranty people that call me on my phone all the time. Right.
2: <laughs> I mean, as
1: laughable as that is, it has, they've got, it, it. has to, got to work. to be, yeah, they've got it has to be getting results, Did you right. see
2: the the meme where there's a, a a scroll in a bottle, and it's like yes, I'm for your I car did. insurance? Yeah. Like it's so funny. I'm like, that's so true. Uh, they stop it. Yeah, they don't.
1: I mean, it, and it blows my mind. <laughs> but I mean, to your point, you, all it takes when you when you engage with somebody like that. And they make that change and they start to just get just a little taste of it. It becomes so addictive at that point. You know, mm-hmm. you do get the endorphin rush. You do psychologically right. gravitate and you're and you're a hundred percent right. You start breeding momentum and then energy and ultimately money is gonna follow that. I've seen it time and time again, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just, but you also hear the reverse, right? People use that as an an excuse, knowing that that works. Oh, if I could just get one big one under my belt, then I'd have everything I need to push myself to the, it's always going to be, what's the next excuse going to be? It's if this, if this, if that, there are no ifs other than if you take the time to execute, you will win, period. That's the only if you should be thinking about.
2: Well, if you if you wait for the big one, you'll be waiting a really yeah. long time. It really is those mm-hmm. small incremental steps again that build up that momentum. And it is, it's people waiting for that that big one. Well, you maybe it could come. Well, it's easier, but, right? right? It is easier it's, to sit back yeah, and wait.
3: It's easier to sit there and just say, Well, if I had this or that and you know, whatever, then then I'd be successful and, and- That's just because it's requiring you to do nothing except for sit there and make excuses and people love to complain too right i mean they that's why you know earlier we were talking about kind of seeing the negative side versus the positive and who's negatively and positively motivated but i think people uh generally are more negative just because it's it's, misery loves company and people like complaining about things well
2: so so that's such a great point kyle so what i have my clients do is literally take a people inventory you want to look at the people who are around you. And and I, I have yeah. them kind of put them in a in a box, right? And so there's the people that add to you. There's the people that multiply, the people that subtract, and the people that divide. So the people that add to you are just good energy. You want to be around them. The people that multiply are those people that not only add good energy, but they introduce you to new experiences or other people that add energy. The people that subtract are the people that, you know, they're kind of downers. You don't really want to spend a lot of time with them. And the people that divide are those people. Those are the the energy vampires. You don't want to spend any time with them. And I always say people get really sensitive about labeling others in these boxes. And I'm saying, well, wait a second. It's important to know just because someone falls into that category, it doesn't mean you have to cut them off you wanna be really strategic in how you spend time with them. So if I'm about mm-hmm. to make calls, I'm not, if, I'm, if I need to go make calls for my business, I am not spending a single second that day with anyone who's gonna subtract or divide my energy. I actually, even when I was in real estate, I would call those plus people or those multipliers before I started my cold calls because I would just feel good. Why not call people I already know who are going to love me, get my mood going, and then I'll start to call some strangers. It, It just felt better for me. But really looking at the people you spend the most time with, and obviously Jim Rohn, we are a culmination of the five people we spend the most time with. It's really important if you want to get to the next level of your business that you're up-leveling your friends and, and the people you spend time with. And again, that doesn't mean you need to remove the others. It means that you're strategically spending time with people that help you get to the next level.
1: And I think it's important for people to realize that you can always level up. Like there, there is no, there is no ceiling. There's always somebody who's better than you are. At at, now, mind you, it becomes a little bit more difficult, probably, if you're Warren Buffett. You know, you're probably going to have a hard time finding somebody that's going to help you level up your investment game, but you know there's always going to be somebody and and it, it, it may be somebody who you get information from that surprises you right it may be right. just a completely mm-hmm. different perspective doesn't necessarily mean that and what i mean by that this goes back to something we were talking about before we came on and started recording about the issues that we have with the old guard as the new guard comes in, and the lack of collaboration, and it's it's all about control, and this is the way that I've done it, and have always done it. I've learned as much in my business since I've had my agency by bringing in college interns and people substantially younger than me to show me what I need to be, what I need to know. And I'm, I'm, I'm a relatively open-minded person ab- about my business. I don't necessarily think that my way is 100% right. I will listen to feedback. I will take the feedback. And many times, most times, I'll execute on it. I think that where we get in our own way, and people listening to this have heard me probably say this 100 times now, but it's true. And I'm not going to stop saying it until we fix the problem. We want people to receive information where we want them to receive it, not where they want it to be received. And Ah, I think that we have a lot of opportunity with the younger generation and their understanding of different methods of communication to really expand our businesses. I've never been a big fan of using text messages for business purposes, but we have the ability to text from our CRM, from HubSpot, directly to, to clients. Two years ago, I would have never thought anybody wanted to hear from me on text message, right? So we tw- right. we stuck our toe in the water. I listened. We put the integration in. As we have been sitting here recording, I have literally seen no less than a dozen text notifications come across my other screen from HubSpot where I have people communicating with our prospects via text message right now. And it's huge. Yeah. And, and that that's a mental block that I had to say, you know what? I need to get out of the way of this because this is going to keep me from being able to maximize my ability to communicate with our constituency. And it, it was really that simple. It was, as soon as I said, you know what, screw it. We're going to text period. We'll see how it works. If, if I get complaints, yeah. I guess nobody has ever complained to me about text messages. Why? Because we ask them, we ask them up front. Right. Is it right. okay to text you at this number?
3: Cause everyone always has their phone yeah. in, in their in hands. Their hand. yep. <laughs> like, and that's where everything it's not is centralized. I mean, think about it. When you go, when you go to the doctor, yeah, yeah, you go to the doctor. You get, get, a, you get a, a text from them. Yeah, right, exactly. So they would I mean, rather text everywhere.
1: me than speak to me because I'm not threatening on the phone. I mean, I mean, I'm not threatening on text. They're scared right. I'm going to sell them something if they're actually talking to me on the phone or if I meet with them in person. You know, it's a different. It's a completely different dynamic, and I think that as salespeople, we need to realize that. And they may be a little further up in the funnel by communicating via text but you know if your whole goal is to get them all the way through the funnel who cares where you start with them
2: right yep well, and, and going in with that end in mind, I want to touch on the point about um, transitioning generationally and, and w- w- how do you help businesses transition d- generationally? I, it is so important we're getting perspective from our future clients. And in many cases, when we look at millennials, they're our current clients. And so one of the things that I'm asking, um, I'm, I'm, I'm having people ask when they interview, I'm asking people, if there was one thing you could change about this business, what would it be? You get such awesome answers and you get answers that can help transform your business by just saying, if there's one thing that, for my clients, if there's one thing that I could do to support you at a higher level, what would it be? It's amazing what they tell you. It's so helpful because I'm servicing my clients the way I like to be serviced instead of the way they like to be serviced. I'm not going to guess. I'm just going to ask them what can I do to support you? And, you know, Kyle, you have a kid. I use this with my kids. I'm not trying to fix it for them. I'm saying, what can I do to support you? Because as parents, we want to fix it. And guess what? Often they don't want to be fixed. They're not broken. They just need to vent. They Mm -hmm. need to whatever. Sometimes they do want your advice. Sometimes they just need somebody to listen. What can I do to support you right now? I have to tell you is the best question you can ask a fellow colleague. You can ask an employee. You can ask uh, a a parent or a child. Hey,
1: you can ask it to a prospect. I did yep. it two weeks ago on oh, a new business yes. call. We got. I got on the phone. The lady, you know, number one, everything on the out on the surface of of the stuff we could research before a, a first call looked like there's absolutely no reason she should be talking to me. Her experience mod on her workers comp was in the point sevens, <laughs> so she's already getting a twenty five to thirty percent discount on her workers comp. And, and I started the call by asking, you know. Why are we talking? Why? Why did you take a call from my appointment center to schedule time to talk with me? And she said, "Well, you know, I've got this, I've got this, I've got this." And I let her go for like four or five minutes. And at the five minute mark in the call, because I always tell people my first meetings go five minutes or an hour and a half. There's no like middle ground. So at the five minute the five minute mark, I told her, I said, "Listen." It's already very clear to me that this is not going to go anywhere. Your renewal's in two months. You've given me a litany of things that are very much more important to you than your workers' comp renewal. So I just want to let you know, I'm stepping out of that role. I said, I'm not going to end the call, but I'm not, I'm probably the least aggressive salesperson you're going to see. I'm just going to step back and I want you to tell me, how can I help you? What can I do with my network, with my influence, with some of the tools that we have? And this person was the HR person for their company. Not uncommon when you get into the middle market that the HR department handles workers comp. And then the other lines of coverage are handled by the financial end of the business, a controller or a CFO. And so she just said, Look, I'm new in my role. It feels like that we rewind back to the 80s. If, when I come in and you see the lobby of this place, I've got two partners um, that own the company, and those two partners don't agree. One of them's more progressive in their thought process, the other one isn't. Nothing's formalized. I said, Do you even have a handbook? I mean, I just went right down the line. And, and finally, I said to her, I said, Listen, what you're telling me is you've got a lot of HR related issues that you need to deal with, which I would expect you to tell me because you're the HR person. What if I were to allow you to have access to Think HR through my company, uh, which is a product that we pay for and we give people access to, to help you have an online handbook that's dynamic so that when legislation changes, it automatically updates and notifies your employees. We put in a learning management system so you have a bona fide training program that you can track online. And we ran down all the things and she said, you would do that? And I said, I would absolutely do that because what I hear is you screaming for help right now and you don't have Mm. the tools. And I also heard probably not going to get the ownership to invest in that. So what I know is that if I give it, and, and this is the thing, people, if you're in sales, quit trying to dance around it and just get to the point. And what I told her is, I know that if I help you, you're going to remember that. My ultimate goal is for you to hire me. I'm not going to make any bones about that. But I don't want you to hire me in two months if it's not the right time for you because it's not the right time for me at that point. I'd rather help help you. Let's just say, forget it. We're not going to worry about trying to force this workers' comp deal to happen this year. We know when you renew. You tell me when you want me to follow up with you. I'm going to give you full access to our resource right now to help you get on track When do you want me to follow? She goes, if you would follow up with me on August 3rd, that would be awesome. I said, fine, done. Already sent her the invite. It's on the calendar for August 3rd. But I recognized the fact this lady was so overwhelmed in her role that she was really just looking for a lifeline or somebody she could vent to. Because here's how I know that. At one point in the beginning of the conversation, she said, remind me who you are and what you do again. She didn't even have a clue. She just (laughs) needed somebody to talk to. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. 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 Well, but that's the difference between sales and service. Right. I mean, you were providing a service versus the commission breath, like make the sale, make the sale. What do we do? It's like, oh, listen, I hear you. People just want to be heard, especially now more than ever. People want to be heard. Mm. And then for you to be able to provide support. I mean, that's the best way to sell. Then then, you know, Here's my number. You know, I'll call you. I I I tell people all the time, my
1: number one quote is, if you want to maximize the amount of money you make, quit selling a product and start solving a problem. Yep. You don't always get the sale to solve a problem, but you get credibility. You know, I can't, there's a lot of people out there that I have, I shouldn't say a lot because then it makes me sound like a terrible salesperson, but there are, there's there's a number of people out there over the years that I've not been able to sell a product to for a number of reasons. Maybe they're with a company, an insurance carrier that has direct Agents that they only represent that company and I don't have access to that product. And that happens to be the best product. Well, guess what? They know people in other industries and All I, right. you know, I always give them the benefit of the doubt. Now, I'm not advocating that you have a monthly follow up with these people and you give them tons and tons of your time. But if you give them enough to where they realize that, wow, this guy didn't push the issue, he gave me actionable information that I can help, uh, that'll help my business. That pays dividends for you. I'm gonna say one more thing and then I want to wrap up and give you an opportunity to talk about how people can find you but you know you mentioned um, the ideal prospect and all of that and again I, I I'm not a smart dude. I only use the same examples all the time but you know the way that I handle that is when I go meet with a prospect for the first time, I literally envision a conference room and a conference room table, with chairs all the way around it. And one chair is empty. And that chair is for the prospect. And I ask myself the question, does this person deserve that seat at the table with every one of my other clients? And I do that because I want to make sure that I'm actually thinking through this. Are, is this person going to make me more valuable and my book of business more valuable, and the value proposition that I deliver to every single one of my clients more valuable, or by me bringing this person in, does it diminish everything that I've worked so hard to build? And it's not a question as to whether or not the how much mon- how much money I can make. Right. I can tell you the absolute worst disasters that I've ever had over the course of my career have been those accounts that we've brought in that I've ignored red flags because I got blinded by dollar signs. And every single one of us is capable of having that happen. And again, I think it goes back to Mm -hmm. why it's so important to have an outside influence that doesn't have an emotional involvement with your business, looking at things objectively and giving you advice. With that being said, I know you have a process. We talked about it. You have an assessment in I'm assuming I want you to talk about that for a second because I'm assuming that if people go to your website that are interested in talking with you and taking their game to the next level, that that's a process they're going to walk through. So why don't you talk a little bit about what that journey looks like for somebody who's looking to reach out to you? And this, this, the floor is yours. We're wrapping up after this. So this is your shot. This is your Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. This is my Macy's. This is it. Laura, <laughs> we've been working up to this for 58 minutes. Go get it. <laughs>
2: Okay. So here's what I want people listening to this podcast to do, because you know what? We've all gone through a really challenging year and I really want people to start to look at creating a purposeful life. Let's forget trying to um, make the most money. Let's forget trying. All of that happens when you're living this purposeful life. So what I would like people to do is to go to purposeful-life.co. And there it's going to talk about the equation I mentioned toward the beginning of the show, which is, you know, defining what is your ideal life experience, then looking at how do I communicate this with other people? And then how do I live this consistently today, not waiting for the perfect time, right? This is the idea for creating a purposeful life. So when you go to that website, you get to see information about the equation, and then there's a little survey that you can take. This will allow you the opportunity to see, are you living a purposeful life right now? Then after that, there's lots of different ways to work with me. So I have um, a purposeful life coaching program that will start in the next month. Um, And then one-on-one coaching. If you are interested in learning more about one-on-one coaching, there's a little link on that website. You can contact me there. If If you have questions just about coaching in general, reach out to me. I really am a resource. Again, I don't work with every client, but if you have a need and I'm not a fit, I have a list of people that i can refer you to and so the best way to reach me is to go to that website once you're there you've got different places that you can click and learn more about me and my approach Um, and then take the survey you know there's free tips there um you can get coaching immediately
1: awesome people you heard her purposeful-life.co go there take the take the survey and then see what happens I, I don't think anything bad could happen from that, right? I mean, that's the first Definitely that's the not. first that's the first step. I mean, Laura is Super not gonna easy. take your information and sell it to the car warranty people. You know, that's not gonna come from this survey. We
3: They've already they've already No, got we need it. to
1: be buying our leads list from them. I mean, it's like everybody on the right. face of the planet. But listen, Seriously. in all seriousness, awesome conversation. Thank you so much for coming on and spending an hour out of your day with us. We appreciate it. I'm quite certain that our audience will gain value from this. And I really do encourage everybody to go visit Purposeful-Life. By the way, the hyphen is that little dash. You know, People sometimes don't know what the hyphen (laughs) is. I say hyphen because that's what they said when we were in school, but a lot of people don't even know what it is. Like my kids, for example. (laughs) Purposeful-Life.co and take the survey. Laura, thank you again. Really enjoyed having you today.
2: Thanks, David and Kyle, for having me. Thank you to your listeners for listening, and I look forward to um, being in touch and, and serving them in any way I can.
1: Awesome. Sounds good. Cool.
0: You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level. check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, KillingCommercial.com.